we have scripture this morning from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 23 and 58. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. All right. Well, happy Easter, everybody. I love how one of our team members this morning said that Easter truly is as a day that we can remember every day. But today we especially remember, we especially celebrate it. So we're looking forward to doing that with you out on the lawn with festivities and all the more now as we look at look at God's words together. I have a buddy who used to describe his former young adult self as an argumentative atheist. And he used to brag about it. Actually, he still brags about it. He's like, I'm, I'm, I was pretty good about, uh, with it, too. Uh, and my buddy Tim, he's, he's just a natural-born debater, really sharp, uh, quick on his feet, can articulate things super, super fast and just come back at people. And he said that really his whole goal in life with any and every Christian that would ever come into his orbit at that time was to convince them how utterly wrong they were and their beliefs utterly preposterous. Uh, everything changed for him, though, when he came across the text that we are reading today, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, which, however, at first, when he read it, he got all giddy about it because he read verses like verse 17 and verse 14 that say, if Christ hasn't been raised, then our faith is futile, then the Christian faith is useless. And he thought, oh my goodness, you're telling me that the Christians have built into their own scriptures uh, the key to tearing it all down? And it's like, man, he's just like, I, man, I was locked and loaded for the rest of my life. If I could just disprove beyond reasonable doubt that this is all just bogus, I was set. And so he started to look into it, and he thought everything had changed, but really everything had changed ultimately for him, because as he looked into it, uh, I'm not making this up, he eventually got to the place where not only did he become a Christian, but he became a Christian pastor, and is actually right now, right now, as we speak, telling people about Jesus in Santa Clara. Um, Paul's point here uh, to the Tims of the world, to all of us who have put their faith in Jesus, Tim, Tim past self and, and Tim present, is that the resurrection is of utmost importance. And what we're going to focus in on today is how Paul is really trying to say, the Apostle Paul, the ambassador of the early faith, early Christian uh, leader in the church, what he's saying here is that the, the resurrection is so important because it is good news and therefore it changes everything. 
So that's going to be our, our, our focus today, how, how the resurrection is good news and how it changes everything for you and me. So let's pray and then we'll, then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for what today represents. Uh, how you died on the cross and then on the third day uh, rose again to life. That the that tomb uh, was empty. And through that, you have, you have defeated uh, sin and death. And so, Lord, we, we can and, and ought to and, and do celebrate this every day, but, but today especially, all the more, on this Easter day, we remember. And so, Father, would you help us with your spirit now? Consider these things. Would you help me get out of the way? And would your spirit speak through and, and speak to each of our hearts? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at how the resurrection is good news and how it changes everything for, for you and me. So first, the resurrection is good news. Christianity really rises or falls on the resurrection. I mean, what Paul is essentially saying in the text that was just read is, if you come to Christianity because it makes you feel good, or let's say you come to Christianity because you feel like it improves your life, Paul is saying here in the scripture, you might as well not bother. I mean, that's pretty interesting. That's just kind of built in here. You might as well not, not bother. In fact, so we've already talked about how he says if Christ hasn't been raised the, the, from the dead, our faith is futile, it's, it's useless. But then he goes on further in verse 19. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then we Christians ought to be pitied most of all people. And then he goes on in verse 32. I don't think we had this one read, but he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul is saying, he's, he's getting very practical here. He's saying, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, we should all live this life up the best we can because it is as we all understand it to be, and that is very short. So we might as well just have fun, live it up now. But Paul's point, of course, is verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised to life. He has been raised from the dead. The resurrection is good news. First, let's consider how it is, how it is news. Because what Paul is saying here is it's historical uh, it really happened. It, it's, it's a true event. Now, some of you, m maybe you're here today and you're like, really? You're telling me you believe that? Yeah. Paul, what he's saying here is, you look to the evidence. On the first few verses of 1 Corinthians, Paul kind of lays it out there. And wh where he kind of ends with verse 8, he says, this is my own story, Paul is saying. He says, look, verse, uh, verse 8, Jesus appeared to me also as one abnormally born. That's kind of interesting wording there. Paul's kind of referring to his past self, where he had been persecuting the early church. So when the Christian faith started to get traction and, and form into this movement, Paul was out there persecuting Christians, having them thrown into jail, even overseeing people who were having them killed. That was Paul's past self. But he's now writing and saying, but all that changed for me. How? He saw the risen Lord. You can read about that in Acts 15. You can read about it actually in a number of places where Paul talks about it in his letters to the early church. Now, you might be saying, well, how, how do we know Paul actually wrote these things? Uh, the fact of the matter is actually 1 Corinthians, one of these letters that, Paul, uh, that is attributed to Paul, is what's known as one of the, quote, undisputed letters of Paul, okay? Meaning both uh, Christian Bible scholars and non-Christian Bible scholars alike affirm that Paul wrote this letter. Of all the letters, like you can, you know, we can know 1 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul. So then we, we, we bring that objection. Well, maybe Paul didn't write this well. We, he, he didn't write it. And then maybe you have to go, go on to say, well, he was just a delusional guy there, just some zealot who was just kind of out of his mind. 
Maybe he's just lying through his teeth. The problem with that reasoning is, is twofold. One, if you read the body of works that Paul has written, you find that he's actually a very sharp mind. Uh, he's very passionate, but he has a lot of integrity. You can see that, I mean, you can make up your mind for yourself whether he's delusional or lying. The other trouble with that reasoning is the fact that history tells us that he was killed, martyred, beheaded for his faith in Jesus and proclaiming that he, was, he rose again to life. But that's not all. Paul says in verse 5, you can also, he, Jesus also appeared to the twelve. Now, that's an interesting thought, because what does that matter to us this far from history? Well, history tells us all but one of them were martyred for their faith in Jesus. By the way, separately from each other. I mean, one, it'd be one thing if there was some like cult, like kumbaya moment where everybody was just killed for these beliefs. But these guys were all separately tortured for the very reason of saying that Jesus rose again from the dead. And then Paul even says in verse 6, uh, Jesus also appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Paul is essentially saying there, if you don't want to take my word for it, if you don't want to take the word of one of these 12 for it, you can ask any number of these people who are still living. Some of them fall asleep, but some of them have actually seen the risen Jesus themselves. Go and talk to them yourselves. And you would think that if that weren't valid, then we would have... Uh, preserved through, for, through history, somebody in that time saying, hey, I know Paul was writing at this time. We, we were around, around at the same time of these events, and he's, he's, a, he's a crock. It's not true, but, but we don't have that. In fact, we have more evidence of even some of those folks being martyred for their faith that Jesus rose again to life. Uh, real quickly, this is a fascinating one, the fact that Paul calls out not just brothers, but also sisters who were witnesses to this early event. Uh, this is a fascinating thought if you've never considered this. Of course, from our 21st century American standpoint, we might think, oh, okay, that's, that's kind of cool. But you need to realize that this was written 2,000 years ago in a time and space where the testimony of women was not considered valid in court. Okay, 2,000 years ago. Uh, in my reading this last week, I was just kind of going through the events of, of the Passion of Christ, and I got to the place where, uh, you know, the events of Jesus uh, having risen from the dead and was appearing for the first time. The first people he appeared to were women. In fact, Mary Magdalene, he was talking with her, and he said something really exceptional that I'd never seen before. It never really like, kind of uh, stuck out to me. He said to Mary, he said, go and tell the 12, who were, by the way, back in their homes, like locked up, scared for their lives, go tell them, I'm going to come. I'm going to come show them myself, okay? I'm going to appear to them too. But I can't yet go because I haven't yet first ascended to my heavenly Father. And what never hit me before is like, oh my goodness, Jesus honored Mary and these women to show himself to them, even before ascending to show himself to his father, let alone to the guys. And you know, it's really fascinating because like if you were to have the thought of like, well, this, these are all made up stories, myth, that sort of thing that these early church leaders or whatever were just kind of writing up and just trying to pass off to start this movement. You have a real issue with that because if you were writing in that time and space where the the testimony of women wasn't even valid in court, you would not have written it this way. It would have only discredited your case. You would have only written this way unless it actually happened that way. And not only did it actually happen that way, God very joyously gave the first news of the best news of all time to women, testifying to himself. Paul's saying you can ask some of these brothers, you can ask some of these sisters. In verse 7, he says you can talk to James, who, by the way, was the brother of Jesus, who, by the way, we have records, was very cynical about Jesus early on. You'd probably be cynical of your sibling claiming to be the son of God, right? What would you say? 
You probably have a hard time with that. He was cynical, and yet he went on to be one of the earliest, strongest leaders in the church. What happened? Well, Paul tells us what happened. He saw the risen Lord. That'll do it. We could say much more, but the point is, Paul is saying, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It is good news. It's historical. It's true. Some of you might be thinking, well, it's just a miracle. I don't, I, I have trouble with miracles. I can't, I can't believe that. What about the miracle of life? That we're even here, that we're conscious. Like, I was, I was looking at a, a poll this last week, Gallup poll from 2018, that found that 64 to 79% of Americans believe that there's a God right now. 64 to 79% of Americans believe there's a God, which is essentially to say 64 to 79% of Americans believe in the miracle of life. And by the way, even if you remove God from that equation, you still got to, how are we here? And the claim of what Paul is saying here is the creator, the one who created life also died, and we'll talk about what the significance of that, and rose again, offering life for those who would receive it. The resurrection is, is news, but it's also good news. Uh, in short, the way to come at this thought, it seems to me, is, just, is to say that life is not the way it was meant to be right now. Uh, there's this really helpful metaphor in the scriptures that just really resonates with kind of my outlook on life that talks about how we are all, all of us people are groaning right now. In fact, not just people. The earth itself is groaning. You read about this in Romans 8, if you like, later on. But it talks about how we are all groaning because the world isn't the way it ought to be. There's, there's all this pain. There's all this suffering. It's not, it's not set right. But the gospel, which literally means good news, is that God created us to be in personal relationship with him. That's why he created us, to be in a loving relationship with him. But we very quickly on said, you know what? We're going to do our own thing. We don't need you, God. I was doing a wedding uh, last weekend, and one of the things I love about doing weddings is, is just remembering the beautiful analogy, perhaps the best analogy in the scriptures to describe God's love for us is really marriage. Because in a way, the scriptures teach that God made vows with us and, and he with him, these, these vows, like that he would be our God and faithful to us, and we would be his people faithful to him. That's, that's the creation story in a nutshell. And yet you don't have to read too far into the scriptures to see that we weren't faithful with our vows. By the way, you don't need to read the scriptures to, to need to understand that. You could just look at our own lives and recognize that we are regularly unfaithful. Uh, that's really what the Bible calls sin. Sin is really rejecting God's ways, rejecting who he is. And as a result, what comes into the world? Selfishness, pride, envy, all these things, by the way, that lead us to groan. But the good news is God didn't want to leave us there. Even though we broke our vows, he didn't want to wipe his hands clean of us, divorce us, if, if, if you will. But he sent his son into the world. Uh, that's what Paul is getting at here in verses 21 through 22 when he says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Sin entered the world through our forebear Adam, and with it death, but so also did life re-enter through Jesus, our Savior. The gospel in a, nutshell, in a nutshell is Jesus came into this world to live the life that you and I cannot, do not, and to die to the death that we deserve, being separated from God. 
in order to give us the life that we don't deserve when we put our faith in him. That's what it really is talking about when it says verse 23, which we'll talk about more later. When it says all those who belong to him, it means those who have put in place their faith in him. So the resurrection is, is good news, but it also changes everything. Uh, Paul highlights at least three ways here in this wonderful text of how the resurrection changes everything. First of all, it's, of course, the promise of eternal life. That's what verses 20 and 23 are getting at when they talk about the risen Jesus as, quote, first fruits. Uh, this whole idea of first fruits for all those who, quote, belong to him is really fascinating to me. Uh, we, of course, now, nowadays live in a culture that has Trader Joe's and Whole Food in every town. And, you know, uh, Paul was writing to an agrarian society where that wasn't the case. And every year, actually, in fact, every year at this exact time, they were all looking to the harvest. Would it be a good harvest? And not just one farming family. We're talking the whole society is like, is this going to be a good harvest? And they would know by the first fruits if it was going to be a good harvest or not. Based on the quality and quantity of that first fruits, they, they knew what the season was going to be like. So they were like, is this going to be a good year? And if it was a good year, boy, everybody was rejoicing. Everybody was exciting, ecstatic. That's what Paul is saying here. The risen Jesus means to those who belong in him. He is your first fruits. He is showing you that eternal life has been made possible for you. That you will be born again into an imperishable body and receive eternal life. Meaning death no longer is something to be feared. That's an amazing thought. Um. That's why Paul later in our text that we didn't have read today uh, says at some point, oh, death, where is your sting? In Christ, death has been defeated and we have been made alive. And we can receive that by faith. Uh, maybe you've heard the most famous Bible verse uh, there, there is, John three sixteen that says, for God so loved the world that whoever, uh, that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You could choose to receive him even today. I'll give you an opportunity to. So the resurrection changes everything in that it's the promise of eternal life, but it's also something that can give us unshakable confidence. Look down at verse 58. Paul says, therefore, meaning everything I've been talking about in terms of Jesus actually rising in on the third day, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Do you know what this is saying? It's so helpful, so practical. Paul's saying, whatever you are facing that's hard in your life, or whenever you face anything that's hard in your life, whether it's work-related, whether it's relationships-related, whether it's related to your health, Paul's asking, are you remembering, if you belong to the Lord, are you remembering the resurrection? Think about this. Maybe you're facing something really hard. There are a lot of wonderful promises in the scriptures that you can cling and hold on to. For instance, this wonderful promise in Romans 8 that says, God is working all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. He's going to work bad things even to good. That's a wonderful promise. You can hold on to that. You can also cling in hard times to promises like God is going to be with you in the midst of all of those. Those are wonderful promises. We cling to those. We preach those regularly here because they're all throughout the scriptures. But what here Paul is doing is getting way more specific. He's asking in those times, are you rem remembering the resurrection? Because the resurrection specifically puts all of life, including maybe even most especially the hardships of life, into perspective. Because it means now, Jesus is our first fruits, this life is not all there is. In fact, this life is only the smallest of blips 
when it comes to eternity. The resurrection is not something we just remember Easter Sunday each year, but it's something we can remember and stand firm because of for this day and the rest of our lives and into eternity. But notice something that's really important here. Paul is saying it's a choice because he uses the imperative, doesn't he? He says, stand firm. Let nothing move. You have, to, you have to remember and choose to stand firm in the resurrection. Finally, the resurrection changes everything in terms of it gives us lasting purpose. Verse 58 goes on to say, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We were created for purpose. We all deep down just have it ingrained in us to live for purpose. Have you ever done something meaningful for somebody in your life and they've gone to thank you and just while they're thanking you or maybe afterwards you're thinking, oh my goodness, you're thanking me, but really I kind of feel like I should be thanking you. Like to be able to have gotten to do that, I mean, how fulfilling that was. You You ever experienced that? We were built for purpose and not just purpose, lasting purpose. I mean, there's so many things. I feel like I love the Silicon Valley because, man, we're all about trying things and going after things and okay with failure because we got to get after the next thing, you know. There are so many things in this life that we can put our hands to, put our minds to, work on, just go after, and they don't amount to a whole lot. It's frustrating. There are also a lot of things that we can put our minds to, put our hands to, just go after, and they are incredible in terms of this life, and yet they will still fade away. But what God invites you and me into is into his lasting purpose, things that will be eternal. And what is that? We're talking, if I could narrow it down to one word, relationships. First of all, relationship with God, of course, that's eternal, but our relationship with others. And what God is extending to you and me is an invitation into that. And I would just say, if you're here visiting uh, current, uh, on behalf of the family here, we would love to link arms with you and serve others, serve God, serve our community together. Because really, that's what it boils down to. Our three main aims are the three loves in the scriptures. Love God, love one another, love our neighbor. Look, we want to love God. If he did all this for us, created us and saved us, we want to love and serve him, of course. We also want to love one another because when we put our faith in him, we don't just put our faith into him for a personal relationship. We're brought into a family of people who belong to him. So we want to take care of each other's needs serve and care for one another. But then we're also called to love our neighbor. And there's many ways we're trying to do this in the community. We'd love for you to join us in that. Just to highlight a few, we've been working with a wonderful organization that's become uh, really kind of a family organization to us called We Hope in East Palo Alto, working with the homeless there. We have good ties with an organization, organization called Foster the City that's working to, to care for the foster kids in the area. We want to serve the the foster kids and families and the workers who are working with them. Uh, We've been working with the human trafficked. We've been working with the Easter eggs that a lot of you guys in the current groups have been working on are going to go to Afghani refugees today. And that might sound like a small thing. It's no small thing if you read these emails in terms of what it means. I'm just highlighting a few. There's other ways we've been responding in, in Christ. The whole point, though, I'm trying to say is you're invited to join us with that. We'd love for you to join with us in that. Not because, hey... We want to be a church that's cool or hip or doing some good things. No, because we want to ultimately invest in things that are eternal. Labor that is not in vain. And we'd love to have you be a part of that. The resurrection is good news and it changes everything. I want to give you an opportunity today to respond.
just because I feel like Easter is just such a wonderful day to put down a little spiritual marker. If that's you, and you'd like to take a step in response today, I'd love to give you an opportunity. As you came in, hopefully you got a little card on your, on your seat. If you can go ahead and grab that right now, look at that with me. Um, I'd love to kind of go through this real briefly. Um, and as you're pulling that out, looking at that, uh, we, the team has put together these gift bags that are, that are actually kind of awesome. There's some, <laughs> there's some good candy in here I want, but um, no, this is not for me. Um, this is for anybody who's made a face decision. There's some cool swagger in here. We got some uh, sunglasses. The main thing I want to highlight here for you, though, is uh, this book that we want to give to you. If you, if, if you want to uh, make a faith decision, we wanna, we'd love to resource you in this. It's called Mere Christianity. It's, it's by, written by C.S. Lewis. And what I love about this book, can I, actually, can I, can I share a little confessional? It's kind of funny uh, and ironic. I don't recommend a whole lot of Christian books. That's not to say I don't think there aren't a lot of good Christian books out there. There's just a few that I like, would, would recommend, and this is one I'd recommend and give away. It's just, it's just wonderful. But one of the reasons why I love this book, Mere Christianity C.S. Lewis, is because it's written by a guy who was formerly an atheist, and kind of like my buddy, an argumentative atheist. And, and so he's, he's looking at life now as a Christian from that lens, okay? So that's already pretty helpful. The other thing that's super helpful I, I love about C.S. Lewis is he writes uh, very much with, uh, uh, to, to the mind and the heart. Uh, it seems to me that a lot of people, they, a lot of books can either be like very intellectual and kind of heady and that sort of thing, or they can be very like, you know, creative, but not very substantive. C.S. Lewis kind of does a great job of kind of towing that line. We'd, we'd love to give it to you. It's just really helpful. It's been helpful to me in my uh, spiritual walk. Um, but if you're ready to make a, a faith decision, we want to give you that opportunity and resource you if that's, if that's you. Um, one of these boxes you can check, and by the way, you can either turn these in, uh, in, in the buckets later, or we have a little gift table where you can receive these resources. Um, you can take that to the team afterwards. If today you're ready to start your faith journey, the first box says there, uh, we'd love for you to check this so we can come alongside you and resource you. Uh, that, this is for those of you who are here today, and man, you're just like, I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus. Maybe you've actually already put your faith in Jesus, and you haven't really cemented that. Um, we want to give you that opportunity. You can check that box. Well, the team would love to come alongside you and, and give you this gift bag and resource. Uh, some of you, are, you're ready, second box here, to come back to your faith. Maybe you stepped away from your faith. You used to go to church, used to be active in your faith, but you stepped away. Maybe it was the pandemic. Maybe it was moving to the Silicon Valley. Maybe it goes all the way back to your college years. I don't know. And then maybe you got a mailer this week or a coworker invited you or you just decided, oh, I should probably go to church on Easter. I don't know. But you're realizing now that it is actually the Holy Spirit who is coming after you that whole time. God himself saying, I want you to come back. And you want to respond, put a little spiritual marker down. You can check that box. And then the third box is you're ready today to publicly declare your faith through baptism. Uh, we actually have a few folks at Current who are ready to be baptized, which is going to be really exciting. We still got that jacuzzi that we're going to use. It is awesome. It's warm. Uh, I always like to joke, it's a little less spiritual over there because it's so warm. No, it's not. It's the same thing. <laughs> the early days, we were like in this feeding trough. It was super cold. But anyways, if you're here today and you're ready to publicly declare your faith through baptism, that's your next step. <laughs> because when you put your faith in Jesus, the scriptures are clear. This is a way that you get to say, God, I am yours as you are mine. And we'll celebrate it as a church. And we want to come alongside you, help you with that. By the way, so there's three boxes there. If any one of those three, go ahead and click those. Uh, I want to add an extra one. There's no box here, so you can just fill it in. Tell the team I said it's okay. Um, if you're here today and you just want to explore the faith, you're just here, you're like, I, you know, man, I, didn't, I haven't considered these things, but I want to look into them. Uh, we'd love to come alongside you and resource you 
for that. Because, hey, look, if, if these things are anywhere near true, they're worth looking into, wouldn't you say? And so we want to give you the opportunity to do that, too. You can just write that in and take it. Again, you can either put it in the bucket, but I actually encourage you to take it to the team, and they'd love to give you this, this gift back. Uh, to those of you who are here, maybe you're new to the area, you've been following Jesus. Uh, maybe this is the first time uh, coming back to church after the pandemic. I don't know. Easter is kind of the date that you're just like, I'm going to come back. Um, and maybe Current's been your home for a while, or maybe you're looking for a new home church. We'd love to connect with you, too. You can fill out the connection card. And just get in touch with us. Cindy highlighted the fact that we're going to do a welcome lunch. But our whole goal, I just shared it all. Love God. Love one another. Love our neighbor. And we'd love to link arms with you in that. Uh, Happy Easter, everyone. Uh, It's a joy to be on this journey with you. Can't wait for the festivities outside. Rocco's Tacos. I'm not a sweets guy, but I like those. I have a space in my stomach for that. Uh, Hey, next week, we are kicking off a new relationship series that we're really excited about. And Cindy... Is going to be starting it off for us. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll continue our time of worship. Father, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the good news that you came to save us, and that all we have to do to receive that is just just say, yes, I believe. I trust. I receive what you have done for me. Thank you for your victory over sin and death, for eternal life, and for the unshakable confidence that we can have in the face of anything in this life, for lasting purpose. Help us as a church to really lean into that. Help us to be a city on a hill, a light shining brightly so that those around us can see Jesus all the more clearly. We love you. Please go before us today, the rest of the day, and the festivities ahead of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.